Two-party podcast, we use Anchor because it's such an easy platform to uh, get get advertising and sponsors over a variety of different areas where you can get your podcast heard on different platforms. Uh, it's easy to upload. It's easy to add content. It's easy to delete and edit. Um, it's just a very simple platform. Helps you get your get off the ground, kind of help you get your podcast moving forward, um, and simplifies a lot of things in the business that that typically you wouldn't know and you'd have to learn. So it, it does help with the learning curve. So we we really appreciate and use Anchor uh, as well as as many other platforms we've tried, Anchor seems to be the easiest. We're here with Christian Bangle on the Two Party Podcast, and uh, he is running for District 6, uh, looking to uh, take over that seat from the incumbent. And so I'm going to let him introduce himself and uh, just tell you a little bit about himself. Hi, Dean. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so I, I, appreci- I appreciate you having me on here. So Dean has already introduced introduce me. Uh, my name is Christian Bingle. I am running for District 6 City Council here in Tulsa. I'm running against the six-year uh, six incumbent, Connie Dodson, who's uh, been sitting in that chair for a while. So this would be her fourth uh, term if, if she is elected. And uh, I've participated in, or participated in this election simply because uh, I've lived in this district for a long time. I bought my property in 1999, and I've seen the property uh, not uh, increase in value like certain other parts of Tulsa. You can see with the expenditure of monies uh, that the city gains through uh, uh, tax revenues that we're not getting our equal share. Our infrastructure isn't the same. Uh, we have the dollars to show that you know if if, if every district is getting their equal share we can say that 11.1 percent goes to each district right because that you know equals 99.99 percent of right so the problem is is that uh, connie likes to talk about you know uh, how she's worked and done all these things and she likes to take credit for everything but if there's anything negative she doesn't want to take credit for it. she wants to blame her constituents she wants to blame everybody else but if it's something good you know she's right there to step up and say hey look what i did for you guys you know look how much better you know things are uh, so I, I just see that uh, my community isn't getting its fair share of the pie when it comes to the revenues now granted uh, district 7 is the highest revenue generating district in Tulsa nine nine total right so district 7 is the highest generating revenue uh, Uh, revenue generating district within the city of Tulsa. However, uh, that would be around uh, the big areas of business around 71st area, you know, uh, where all the business. So the Woodland Hills area, really? Exactly. Right. And it kind of uh, joins up to uh, our district uh, at a certain point. Uh, Justin Van Kirk, who's running in that district against the incumbent Lori Dector Wright, is one of the uh, uh, candidates that we're supporting, right? Because he is a Christian conservative, just like myself. I'm a Christian conservative. Uh, my, I believe in God first, of course, uh, my family and my country, right? Uh, 
I served in the military as a combat vet. Uh, I'm a retired sheriff's deputy from Tulsa County as a reserve. I, want, I always want to make that distinction, right? I didn't do it for a living, but I did serve my community for 17 years uh, for free. Uh, I don't get any benefits from Tulsa County. I don't get any benefits of any kind, really, other than I get a, I still get to carry a badge and a gun, and I have a sheriff's plate on the back of my car. So those are the only benefits I've gotten out. So that's the only perks. Absolutely. And uh, I do consider the uh, police my brothers and sisters, right? So I will always defend them. I will always stand behind them. I fly a American flag, a thin blue line flag. I fly uh, my Desert Storm flag. And then, of course, my president's flag, which is President Trump. You know, I do support President Trump. And if Joe Biden uh, gets elected, unfortunately, he will be my president, right? And I I can't disagree with that because, you know, I'm not the only voter. If, if that's what we end up with, you know, we're just going to have to. We have to learn to respect our leaders. All right. As a nation, we need to learn how to just accept who the leader is. Uh, we don't have to agree with them, but we definitely need to accept and, and learn to let them do their term and, and assist them. Yeah, and I and I don't. I've never agreed with that idea or thought process that this isn't my leader or this isn't my president. Whether you like or dislike that, uh, I didn't necessarily agree with Obama on some of the things that he did, but I never disrespected him. Right? We want to see our leaders succeed, not fail. That's the thing. It benefits all of us. Right, and and the thing is, is that is that is a person who actually uh, is running our country, whether we like it or not. We should never disrespect anybody like that, uh, even if we don't agree with their policies and agendas. So, uh, even if I were to lose, uh, you know, in this primary, uh, just like uh, you know we had discussed earlier, if Cheyenne Morgan uh, had gotten elected, you know what, I would have supported her. Right. Uh, I may not have agreed with her platforms and some of her ideas, but it's now her. It would have been her position uh, to lead this district. Right. And I think it's important to keep in mind. I mean, just because you lose uh, an election to somebody and you disagree with their policy, it doesn't mean you can't step up and encourage that person to have a, a civil discussion with them on your policies that you were hoping to bring in. And maybe there's some common ground there that, that both parties can work on together uh, with a, a winning or losing candidate, and they can actually get their, their both policies and agendas worked out and ironed out for the community. And that's what the most important thing is, I think. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of my thing is, is that, you know, even though we, uh, the three platforms are a little bit different, uh, we're a little bit different. Um, I felt like that people were going to make their choices based upon either emotion or research, right? It's usually one of the, going to be one of those two things. Either you're going to make an emotional vote based upon uh, the individual that's running, correct, or, you know, this person is going to look at each one of the candidates before they go to the poll. You know, it's usually uh, going to be up to that person to decide how they're going to make how they're going to cast their vote. Uh, I think the biggest problem, though, for me, and I think we discussed this uh, previously, is that uh, people aren't exercising their right to vote. Uh, when you look at the mayoral race and, and things of that nature, uh, you can tell when you have a population of over 400,000 people and only 
you know, 30% or 20% are getting out to vote. That, that's a problem. I mean, yeah, and but you can look on social media and determine that, you know, people are not happy with the leadership. They gripe and they complain and they say this and that. But then when they have the opportunity to make a change, they kind of just are indifferent, right? And it's interesting because you have you have people that uh, believe that both candidates are no good. Uh, I'm not going to go vote because this candidate's not on my side or my sees my way, and this candidate is not my party. And some people vote on party lines, some people don't. Uh, and then you have people that are like, I don't want to vote for the lesser of two evils uh, in a in an election. And so you do have a lot of people that don't turn out. Uh, you do have a lot of people that, uh, for, I guess, can't get a ride uh, to the polls. Uh, a lot of people talk about, well, the mail-in, we should push more mail-in. And, you know, I'm, I'm not against the absentee. I, I think that's a great idea if you can do that. But uh, maybe it is time. Maybe we're at a, a day and age in technology that maybe it is a time that we need to uh, look at a different different outlook or a way that's that's not – it's a better approach to helping get people to the polls, get them to vote, but also help help uh, get the issues out there for people to look at. Um, I know here in Tulsa we have a lot of uh, a lot of homeless, and um, you look at you look at both sides of the aisle, and, and we have uh, you know you have a president, you have a leader. I don't I don't think the administration is always the problem, and, and that could be in a local setting as well. The mayor may not be the problem. Uh, but you do have a problem when it comes to your, your legislative side of things and as well as sometimes your city council. So you can have uh, a two-party system and both people aren't getting along and they're not willing to allocate funds for people. As we see nationally right now with the COVID situation, you got you got families that are put out and, and uh, don't have money to uh, to make ends meet. And here we've got uh, Congress just kind of sitting, sitting on their hands. Uh, neither one wanting to budge and really they're sitting in those seats because the people put them there to to do this work and to pass these things for the people and and I feel uh, they'd really do a disservice and I feel like both parties are kind of kind of giving us a fail you know just showing that, that they're a failure for us instead of uh, showing that they're for the people uh, but I know here in Tulsa just locally I mean we we've got a lot of issues here that that with COVID going on, uh, money money should be reallocated for different things. I, I, I agree that the development needs to occur and we shouldn't have stagnant uh, job sites sitting around, but uh, let's be real. Uh, it's probably time we, we look at reallocating some funds to the people and take it out of maybe where some other uh, money was earmarked for something else. Uh, just kind of makes a little sense. Uh, we've got a big homeless problem. There's, you know, some people want to be, uh, there, there's people I know that, that just want to be out there and they're, they're okay with being homeless. It's kind of just their thing, being off the grid. And then there's a lot of people that uh, it's not by choice. They, they, they maybe have a mental health issue or maybe they just can't make ends meet, can't hold a job, don't have career skills, can't seem to get hired due to felonies and, and stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of issues that we could, we could address uh, as far as the homeless situation goes. And uh, so that's that's something maybe we should touch on, too. Um, I know you have an opinion about that. Well, and I think that's the biggest issue that a lot of people have is is when we're talking about monies and the expenditure of public funds, uh, just like yesterday on one of the uh, on the council call, uh, there is a group who is tasked with determining the projects that the CARES funding is supposed to be spent on. So what what some of these things that they're talking about spending these money on are, are great ideas one of them was the homeless right and and we talked about this before you know the homeless is an issue the homeless are an issue right um i made this statement during a town hall forum right um and i'm uh, 
I wasn't the only one who made the statement, but, you know, being a candidate, I got chastised for what I said, right? And I want to make some clarity, and I want to say this again. Um, Not everyone is homeless by choice. There are some people who are homeless by choice because, again, it gives them the freedom to move about and come and go as they please and do those things. Uh, They're not tied to the grid, right? Uh, Whether people want to believe that's really true or not, it's a fact. I know this from having dealt with the homeless. Some just want to stay on the streets, and uh, there's really not much we can do about, you know, that's freedom. And, and I hate that. I hate, I don't understand that mentality. Yeah, some, some stay homeless due to addiction. Uh, some of them just mental, mental issues. And uh, some people just like that. Uh, you know, I'm big on freedom. Some people just like that freedom of being able to do what they want when they want. And that's their choice. I know. I don't understand that thought process. But here's the other thing. You know, I also gave an example. Uh, one of the horrible habits that I picked up in the military was smoking, right? Um, which is always the the breeding ground for learning to smoke, I guess. So, yeah, absolutely. Boredom. Yep, exactly. And so, um, you know, I, I talked about, you know, uh, how some people are affected by drug abuse and how that, those addictions can grab a hold of a person. And I gave an example of where, you know, I went on a trip with my youngest daughter uh, to Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, from four o'clock in the morning till 1030 at night, I hadn't had a cigarette, right? And you're talking about somebody who'd smoked for 20, 30 years. Uh, that's a huge break for a smoker to not have that nicotine. And, you know, when I did finally have that cigarette, you know, I felt like, you know, I was going to freaking have a heart attack. And my daughter, you know, it was like 10 years old to stand there. She's like, Dad, are you okay? I'm like sweating and shaking. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of tried to give a personal uh, understanding that I, I do understand that addiction. And those are the people that we need to figure out how to help. And I also said there is a utopian fix. Whether people want to believe it or not, there is a utopian fix to uh, the homeless issue, right? Uh, uh, and I like talking about this simply because, to me, uh, I have uh, I work downtown at City Hall, right? Uh, I actually work for a company called CenturyLink, and I'm in the same building. I've seen people across the street on a corner literally take sandwiches out of the trash can on the corner and eat them. And and let me tell you something. We all break our necks getting over there to that person to say, hey, if you're hungry, hey, there's a Chinese place here next door. I'll buy you some food or whatever. You That person is genuinely hungry. And those are the people that you want to help. And But you do have people that uh, that you know they you don't know how to help but there is a utopian fix if we took all of the resources that all of these charities have whose goal is supposedly to help the homeless and we combine those resources right and we took those resources absolutely uh, but the problem is i find a lot of times is that people are so worried about getting credit right Uh, It's not uh, a lot of times I feel like sometimes people aren't necessarily about the mission or about the goal. It's about whether I'm going to get credit. Right. Uh, And to me, if we genuinely wanted to resolve that issue in the same way that we built a 10 million dollar health clinic 
on union school property, why couldn't we do the same thing for our homeless? Create a, a centralized location uh, so that we could create a, a centralized location for professionals who are out here trying to help the homeless with addictions uh, or any type of services, jobs, anything to centrally locate these folks. Feed. I mean, that's why I said I... I get a little up uh, uh, frustrated because I feel like there's a fix, but you know, do we really want the fix, right? You make a good point. There's a a lot of people out there that you know, unfortunately, due to their addiction, they they don't want the fix. And uh, do we do we allocate money for that? Do we do we put money aside to build something that that potentially could could fail or just cost the taxpayers money because it just sits there or it only helps? Uh, helps those that really want the help, but maybe not those that actually need the help, uh, or does it get taken advantage of in, in some aspect um, uh, along the way? So it could be a burden for taxpayers. It's, it's a very, it's a hard subject when it comes to the homeless, and it always has been in our nation, uh, whether it's local, state, or just across the nation or world. Uh, uh, homeless is just a, a, a huge issue. It's a huge issue for politicians. It's a huge issue in election years, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, coming from a good heart, you just, you know, you got to look out for people. It's, it's kind of what we should be doing. And, you know, I'm that guy, I I will absolutely go and I will uh, see the guy on the corner. And if it's on my heart to give that guy a dollar, uh, I'm that guy, I fall for it. You know, I I don't care if that guy goes and he drinks it away. I don't care if he goes, uh, drugs it away. That is his choice with that money. As soon as it leaves my hand and it has the blessing to go to that person for me, um, that's it. Uh, it's between God and them at that point. And, uh, you know, I, I pray that that dollar goes to the best effort and, and helping that person get off the streets. But, you know, we know a lot of times that it doesn't occur like that. Uh, it occurs where that person's probably going to go use maybe or uh, or just kind of swindle that money away into the end of the bottle and just drink it up. And, uh Unfortunately, that's sad, but you know that's out of our control. I can't dictate what somebody's going to do with my money. Just like you know, we we can't always expect the leaders to do good with our tax money. Yeah, I'll disagree with you there, Dean. Yeah, a lot of people aren't going to hand a dollar off to somebody um, because they know that they're not going to use it properly. And again, that's that's each individual has that choice to give or not to give. But uh, again, that's just where I stand. Gotcha. Right, but here's the here's the problem with that. So I've had a friend uh, many, many years ago, this is back in the 90s, he was a doctor down in Miami, Florida, and he used to pay uh, about 10 bucks an hour or so for people to go out on the corner and panhandle. And of course, he, you know, he'd have some that would get the money and run and or just turn in what they turned in. But, you know, this guy was making uh, several hundred thousand. I, I know he made a hundred thousand a year, one year he was bragging about. and. Uh, you know, uh, I think on his peak that he was doing, he had a bunch of people. They had vans dropping people off uh, doing this, and uh, they'd drop them off at all the major intersections, and they would uh, collect money from people and panhandle, and uh, that became a big issue in Florida, and they started kind of running them off and making laws against the panhandling and stuff. But uh, that guy, he was a doctor, had plenty of money, had a great job and career, and, and just made plenty of money, and that was just one of his little side things he did. He just uh, he would pay people to go stand on the corner, uh, hold a sign, a collect change, paid him $10 an hour off the books. Uh, that guy was uh, made his money tax-free uh, six digits a year. And uh, as crazy as it sounds, and we know that there's a lot of, you got drug dealers that are, you know, somebody somebody needs a fix and the drug dealer puts them on the corner or they owe the drug dealer and the drug dealer, you know, uh, 
uh, you can get beat up or killed or you can go stand on the street corner and get my money. And uh, that's that's a very real situation that we, we, we live in in our society. It's it's a very scary situation. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's the way the world turns in those those circles. Uh, it, it, it's sad, but but I do know, like I said, it's uh, fraud. You know, it's very corrupt to do something like that and to use somebody for that. Uh, but there's people that'll do it. There's people that'll do it. Uh, they don't mind doing it. There's people that'll go stand on that street corner uh, strictly because they are are an addict and they they need their fix. And that's the only way they know to get a, uh, get a couple bucks because they know they're not going to get employment. They know they're not going to go to a job dirty or uh, using or uh, coming down off of something. They know they're not going to get hired and be able to, to, to hold a job. Uh, so there is people uh, that will go stand on the corner and do that. And, uh, you know, I, do, do I agree with it? Not necessarily. I think there's a better way for everybody. And I think we should always try to encourage a better way. But uh, these, the, it's out there uh, that this is happening. It's a very real thing. And uh, I like to believe this. Uh, I lost touch with this guy many years ago, but I like to believe he's still a doctor. And I like to believe maybe he's not doing that stuff anymore. Maybe, maybe he changed his ways and uh, took a better path. Right. And I and I get what you're saying. But again, you know, it, it, it because you don't know what the situation is. Right. Uh, like I said, if if it's really an issue within the district or within the city itself. Right. We know that we do have those people out there that are, are collecting money for uh you know, like you said, that are fraudulently uh, posing as being homeless or, or, you know, paying people to stand on the corner. And you do have people that, you know, we here in the city have caught, you know, that that's what they're doing. That's how they're making their living. They'll get in their car, go over to Chick-fil-A. I think that even happened in Bixby. You know, somebody got caught. There always seems to be some lady with kids either at Walmart or you always see somebody on the side of the road with their kids doing the, the panhandling. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is, you know, when you start bringing children into it, it just becomes despicable anyway. I would agree. And then you see them bringing children to protests and uh, riots and uh, just panhandling. I mean, it, it just it's not, it's not a good situation. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just a scary situation. Right. Because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's not worth endangering the life of a child just to uh, have them out there to see or witness a civil protest. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about the revenues and, and uh, the equality for, for some of this revenue for each city and district. Well, like I said earlier, you know, we were talking about the division of the revenues that the city generates with taxes, you know, because that's the biggest issue. And uh, one of the things that like we were talking about yesterday uh, is that, you know, if you're getting your fair share of the pie, everybody should equally get 11.1% of, you know, most everything, right? If we're talking about specific things. Now, granted, there are going to be projects throughout the city uh, where you're doing developments, which are going to create uh, new businesses and attractions. You know, the gathering place was one of them. And that's a great thing for the whole community there. And the thing is, is you want to feel like that your district is part of that development process, right? You don't want to feel like that your district has become relegated to the bottom of the pile. We'll just do enough to keep it uh, in the means that it is, but we're not going to do anything to create a 
atmosphere to where businesses are going to be attracted, right? We're never going to be a 71st, and that's not the goal here, right? Uh, because it'll never be that way. Right, for sure. You know, we have uh, a lot of uh, good folks here. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot of good folks. Everybody here is uh, good for the most part. I mean, we have good neighbors. Uh, the crime, you know, during COVID has kind of went down a little bit, you know, so that's a great thing. Uh, we just uh, need our fair share. We need to see that the city actually is taking interest in this part of the city and not just kind of leaving it to the woodpile. Uh, we see that up north a little bit too, right? Yeah, it's very interesting to see how uh, our mayor has, has worked some of these projects and a lot of people like or dislike Bynum or disagree with some of his policy, but at the end of the day, I think he's done a great job in the north and some of the projects along the river. And I think uh, it, at the end of the day, I think it's great to see these things happen. The mass mandates where I kind of disagree with a lot of stuff. And uh, so. Right. Well, and, you know, and that's that kind of leads me into the, since you brought up the mask mandate, you know, that's kind of uh, one of the th uh, other things that motivated me to run was, um, you know, you can't have people blaming other people for their decisions, right? So when Bynum came out and said on a Friday, I don't remember what day it was, but I know it was a Friday. So I went on the Nextdoor app. I don't know if you've heard that app. So I went out on Nextdoor app being a candidate and I said, look, I would vote against this mask mandate, right? I flat out said it, right? And I said, the reason why I would vote against the mask mandate is because of the Ninth Amendment right? The Ninth Amendment says just because it's not listed as a right in the Constitution doesn't mean it's not still a right, right? So that was the basis of my argument. So to me, we didn't have the right to create that sort of law to take away personal freedoms. I do am not against the mask mandate as far as, uh, you know, people wearing their masks, you know, if they have the informed consent. When I'm when, let me reword this. I am against the mask mandate, period, right? But what I am not against are people who feel, you know, uh, the, compelled to wear that mask because they feel it makes them safer. Uh, I don't shame people, and I'm not against it in that regard where, you know, they are trying to flatten the curve and cut down the number of cases in that regard. I'm just against the law or the law itself, right? They, they try and say, well, it's not criminalizing it. Well, yeah, it is, right? By creating the law, so by creating the law in and of itself, it was unconstitutional to start with, number one, by indicating you're, you're trying to split hairs by saying we're not criminalizing it. Well, yeah, you are, because basically by creating a law in and of itself, right, uh, it, you're basically saying it's a law, right? Well, to give law enforcement the right to stop, detain, and question you for wearing or not wearing a mask to me sounds like a law. So legitimately, yeah, it uh, sounds like that we'd be enforcing a law. We were talking about, you know, the AIDS epidemic, you know, uh, the flu, all these different diseases and uh, viruses that have been out there, right? And we haven't made such a huge deal over them where the death rates are, are significantly higher, right? Um, so the problem is, is what I kind of feel like, even looking on social media, you start seeing these advertisers selling these different types of masks, right? So you're like, are, is somebody trying to create the illusion that we're now going to have to wear masks for the rest of our lives? I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous concept. 
it is ridiculous. And then you think of, uh, I know we live in a free market and everyone wants to make some money, but uh, you know, you've got people profiting from this, uh, not just a, using it as a political weapon, but actually profiting off of uh, selling the masks and shirts and, and, and stickers. You, I mean, you name it, somebody's going to profit off it in this in this world. But uh, it's just scary to see that it's become a for-profit situation with this virus versus you know the real health care and help that could be out there for us. Oh yeah. Well, and, and you know the the counselor who's in there now here in District Six. Uh, what she did is she took a t- secret telephonic poll, right? And we just I, I told you about this. She took like some sort of secret poll and called the specific people. I guess I don't know. She called. I don't even know how she did the poll, but I didn't get a call. Other people that I know didn't get a call. So supposedly she created this poll, this telephonic poll. And she supposedly got a, a determination from the constituents that they were against the mask mandate. Now, her number, if I remember correctly, was 74%. 74% of her constituents were against the mask. But then she turns around after the, after the vote and speaks to Brian Dorman. I'm going to throw names. Brian Dorman from Channel 6 evidently uh, spoke to her and called her and asked her about it. And she said, well, I was for the mask mandate. My constituents were against it, right? So the, like I said, the obvious here is that we totally contrast in our values in that uh, when Bynum announced that he was going to seek a mask mandate, I went out straight out and said, look, I would vote against this, and here's the reason why, right? And when I was going through this process, this vetting process through these PACs, like the regional chamber, uh, the guy who was leading the call, I mean, this guy, I guess he thought it was going to be a debate at the end because that was one of the questions was a mask mandate. And I, he said, well, I have the right for you not to spit on my food. Right. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, what a curious thing to say. Right. So if, 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 if that one statement right there, then you're kind of implying that if I just don't have the right to spin on your food today because of the COVID virus, what do you think has been happening in the entire life that you've been living without a mask? So the OIM. So the OIM, right? You, you obviously are aware of that. So here's the funny part. So the FOP doesn't endorse me. So even being a retired reserve deputy, the FOP does not support me. Um, and the reason why, I, and I, I hate, it was an embarrassment to me, to be honest with you. Uh, I was a little upset about it. Um, and, you know, as I got along, as we got along in this race, you know, I kind of just let it go. But then, you know, when I got posted on Facebook, you know, uh, that they were endorsing her, it kind of brought a little anger back to me again because i was like you know what these guys aren't even supporting me you know but the, supposedly they gave her an award in 2019 for quote unquote sticking her neck out for them right um and it, it, you know so i've been a little battle over that issue i, I think the fop one was probably the one that kind of hurt the worst simply because you know, I've done that job, you know, uh, I've been out there and I see what these guys go through. So it, uh, the fact that obviously I would support our police, right, uh, on every level. Right. 
Correct. So the OYM, when it came about, you know, of course, Bynum brought that over uh, as an idea from uh, Denver, right? And the issue is that, you know, when you start creating oversight committees that, you know, don't have that knowledge and understanding. I mean, it's just like when we sit here and we look at uh, things that we see on Facebook, like we'll, we'll see a video where the uh, – issues already in progress right we're not we don't get it straight from the start up to the end we get it right like in the middle right we're, we're getting half the information and this has always been my issue is is that you know um, a lot of times people are making decisions based off half the information right and that's what creates a lot of the issues in our community of course, you know, we create these ideas and these biases based upon half information that someone has given us. And, you know, what Connie did uh, was she voted against the OIM, which I would expect anyone to do who supports our law enforcement, right? Um, unless you can find a legitimate reason, uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't have the data to show me other than proof of someone's claim that uh, our officers are racially charged, right? Uh, that they go out and they target specific races or specific genders or, or pick your pick your idea. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the police chief, Wendell Franklin, presented a study. How do you feel about him? I love him. I think he's done a great job. And let me tell you something. I feel he did a great job being very transparent about them not having a plan when those protests in Woodland Hills was going on. And uh, I, I really think since he's jumped into the middle of this and, and kind of over his head, I think he did great. Yeah, he's great. I, I think he's done an excellent job. And, you know, this poor guy, uh, when Chuck Jordan retired in February, you know, this poor guy didn't even have time to even enjoy the fact that he got promoted you know, got the job. And here he is, he got thrown right into the fire, you know, with all this, uh, all this pandemic stuff. And it, it, he has and and he's been good for the community. I think he's he's done a great job. And to me to even insinuate that we would have an OYM that would kind of hamstring him uh, without him being able to look at the different things that he wants to implement to change uh, the trust and the view of the police department. And the study that I was talking about was a two-year study that he presented to the council, uh, right, that, you know, this was an independent study uh, that showed that there was no evidence of bias within the police department, right? Uh, and for people to still dismiss this coming from, and I hate using this word, a black man, who is our police chief, right? Uh, it shouldn't matter that he's black, but the fact that he's saying that and he believes this report and he's presenting it as fact, right? But you're still dismissive of it, right? Or implying that it's it's almost illegitimate. As if it was illegitimate, you know, I, I, I was a little unhappy about it, you know, that people still felt that way, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that people don't have individual issues, you know, where they feel like, you know, the officer behaved in such a way that made them feel racially targeted or, or something of that nature. So I'm not saying that doesn't happen because it does happen. I think we have a great, uh, Tulsa has a great department and I think it's hard to 
it's hard to pin racial, you know, whatever the situation may be racially in a police department or, or that they're targeting certain culture. Um, honestly, I think I think if you're you're looking at the bright side of things here, I guess uh, if, if you're a criminal, you're a criminal. OK, uh, it doesn't matter who you're targeting. Now, is there an officer? Is there bad officers out there? I'm sure there's bad human beings. Nobody's perfect. Uh, is any police department perfect? Absolutely not. Uh, can we expect our department to get better and look at different procedures? Sure. Why not? I mean, that just makes sense that we try to improve our, our departments. So uh, I don't know. Right. And so, you know, that's kind of the thing is, is that, you know, uh, he, he never said or even implied. And I don't even think Chuck Jordan, you know, even said or implied that Tulsa police were perfect. Uh, in fact, you know, they're going to start changing the reporting on their use of force, right? So things that they didn't have to report for use of force, now they're going to have to report, right? So like if they have to force you into being handcuffed, they're going to now have to report that, right? Um, if uh, they're also go uh, going to make some changes in the collection of data, right? So they can have that data to better understand, you know, what is exactly is going on in the policing itself. So the thing is, is I, I think the Tulsa police are open to that uh, transparency uh, that they want to do what they're supposed to, right? Is it safe to say that every department, or at least for Tulsa, uh, they're always looking to uh, review and look at different procedural uh, changes and make it better within the department? <clears throat> and uh, I like to believe that. I like to think that we're doing enough and, and always we could do more. But uh, is it safe to say that? Uh, they're, they're definitely working on procedures and making making it better daily before all this. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you do have uh, policies and procedures, right, that constantly get updated. Now, I think because of, you know, some of the incidences that have occurred in recent times, uh, it forces it forces departments who have kind of become complacent about it, right? Until there's an issue, you really don't know that there's a problem, right? Or there's an issue with the policies that you have in place. And once once an issue does come up, and how you uh, what your perceived policies and procedures are, you know, of course, the community is going to look at them one way, but you know, the police department is going to look at them at an, from another direction. So. You know, it's like I said, it, 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 until you have these types of incidences, you kind of become complacent about what it is that you're doing. If things are working, why would you need to change them, right? Right. If there's a disturbance and you just go and you make an arrest and get them to jail and everything works out safely and the disturbance is, is handled, uh, you know, hey, we did a great job. Why look at anything else? The job got done. Right. Now, if now if the chief, let's just say the chief was, you know, a bad guy, we'll just say, you know, and, and he, he didn't think there was anything with the culture, but you still had the community complaining, saying, look, we're being racially targeted. You know, these guys are doing this stuff. They're arresting us for, you know, dumb stuff that they wouldn't arrest other people for. Right. Then if that that's a culture issue, that would be a culture issue. Right. You would have to look at that from a culture issue, and obviously that the chief wouldn't be the right person. And the mayor has the authority to hire and fire the chief, right? Uh, it doesn't go through the council. The chief has the authority to do that. So, uh, like I said, I think Chief Franklin has done a great job, and to even 
proposed the idea of having an OIM uh, is hamstringing him. And I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist uh, uh, to support our law enforcement until they do something that, you know, just goes way out of bounds. And then at that point, you would, as a citizen, I would assume you would you'd reach out to the state and try to open up a state investigation to look into whether there's targeting or whether these arrests are uh, justified arrests or the procedures and policies of the, of the department are being followed correctly uh, so that, you know, citizens aren't being targeted and arrested for, for you know, petty things or things that, that don't fall under, uh, uh, under really the time to prosecute, really. So, yeah, I think at that point, as a citizen, you kind of got to follow, you know, our justice system isn't perfect, but you still have to follow the procedures of, you know, if your community is being targeted by apparently some bad officers or something or a bad department, uh, the best step to do is to go above that and, and get your state involved, get an investigation started into to reviewing these procedures or these officers in this department. And I think that's probably where a lot of people, you know, don't have faith in the justice system and they don't really do that all the time and you just get the bad press. Well, I would hope that would never happen. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, the Chiefs came out when they had that the protest going on at Woodland Hills there near the mall, and uh, he, he, was, he was very adamant in his press, press release. He, he opened up and said, hey, we didn't have a plan. Uh, the, the riders got out of hand, started doing property damage. We, we called the National Guard in. National Guard, uh, I kind of watched it live on TV, and when the National Guard came in there, uh, they started really getting a handle on it. They, they started at one end of 71st, and, and from what I understand, all the way up until uh, most, I believe it was up until about 3 a.m., they kind of pushed all the protests and the people that were causing the problems all the way down 71st, kind of got them in an area that was, uh, I guess, where they really couldn't do a lot of damage, but they, they kind of had them in a, in a point where they had them flanked and, and could kind of kind of work on getting, getting the issue resolved. And I think it was right around 3 a.m. that they started really dispersing and getting out of there. But, uh, you know, I love having a, a police chief who's, who's completely transparent in the, and even even in situations like that where uh, he's, he's willing to open up to the public and say, look, we didn't have a plan. Uh, our, best, uh, our best decision right then was to bring in the National Guard. Uh, we, we, we had no way of keeping these people under control. Uh, they, they kept moving in a way that we didn't have enough officers on the ground at that time. We weren't expecting it. Um, these protests, you know, they, they get out of hand and, you know, they, they, you can't always, you got to take the good with the bad, I guess, as an officer on the ground there, uh, because you really don't know uh, who the good protester is, who the bad protester is. The troublemakers are there and they're not being held accountable or can't be held accountable uh, at that moment. And, you know, for an officer to just, you know, officers to come in and just breach a crowd trying to find one guy, it's, it's not really a safe situation for anybody involved. And uh, I think he did the right thing. I love the transparency. I love so far what I'm seeing with this guy uh, as our chief. And uh, I'm hoping to continue to see some of the great things he does with the department and, and hopefully can move it in the right direction once we get past all these these crazy things in the media right now and these protests and stuff so absolutely you know and and you know when you made the point that you know the chief came out and said well we didn't have a plan and he had to call out the national guard right uh, th that was probably the only mistake that i really saw was that and i i kind of got the idea you know when the they were kind of giving them the freedom to move right and that was the problem is is they were allowing the protest even though it was peaceful to start out with right it ended up becoming to where they start busting out windows and tearing up 
property. Uh, the issue was is that they allowed them to be fluid, right? Uh, that was a huge problem for me. So if you're going to have these peaceful protests, right, which no one should ever keep someone from exhibiting their First Amendment rights, right? Uh, we should never prohibit people from doing that. But we also need to understand that in, it, once you, a crime is committed, it then becomes an illegal assembly. I agree. Once once you're damaging businesses and you're creating uh, turmoil within the community, uh, you you've kind of overstepped the boundaries of a peaceful protest and what what you know most states would pull a permit. What 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 you're doing when you're pulling a permit to do a protest and, and get your message across? I think you're you're taking away from that message uh, and really doing a disservice to the people following you by allowing people in your crowd to do that damage and uh, and just in any way, shape, or form ruining a community that you're trying to speak into. Uh, and get following to, to support a movement. So uh, the, those people that are doing that in those crowds are, are really, you know, obviously not there to help. Yeah, you're talking about opportunists. Yeah, and if, if I was running a movement and I really want to get my message across, I think I would I would hold the people that I'm with accountable and, the, and people that are going to be insurrected and try to step into my movement and, and cause problems or disruptions like that. I, you know, as, as part of the crowd, I, I would immediately be one to oust them or find a way to separate myself and my crowd from them. And not let somebody come in and screw up our message. Well, of course, uh, you know, you want your message to get across. I mean, that's what the whole point of your protest and, and using your voice to speak and uh, you get you get people in these crowds that are not part of these crowds. They just see a, a moment to go loot or riot or or whatever it is they're into uh, to disrupt, to disorganize, uh, cause problems really. And you don't want your message to be polluted. You don't want to be affiliated with these people. And and sometimes that can bring the wrong energy to a crowd where you could have an actual peaceful protest and these these rioting and looting starts off and the energy of the crowd being peaceful turns to a few people that that decide to jump on board with. The, the rioting and the looting and like hey well if they're doing it we'll do it we'll get away with it um so unfortunately it pollutes the message it pollutes the the crowd you're trying to gather uh and it really just it just deflates your whole issue and your topic you're, you're not going to be able to get people on board law law-abiding citizens are not going to jump on board with with uh, crime and destruction it's just not not good for the environment and the community when you're talking about like Kyle, this Kyle Rittenhouse and or Ritter House, I don't even remember what his last name is, but uh, the whole George Floyd thing. When you're talking about these incidents, right? I'm the type of person who reserves judgment, right? And the reason why is because there's things that I don't know, uh, don't have access to. Uh, there are all kinds of things that you know. Uh, that's the problem to me with a lot of society now is we want to make spot judgments on only partial information right yeah <laughs> so you know when it comes to those sorts of things i don't make any judgment calls because i don't know all the information i don't know the circumstances i don't know what caused the issue uh and so i don't want to judge people on on those simple things because i know just like we were talking about just earlier here uh when you only get part of the video right but you're making a judgment based on halfway through the incident right uh we don't know what happened and i don't want to make those judgments against people because i'm afraid that you know you're going to come out on the wrong side of it because you already had a preconceived notion that you know based on the one piece of information I've, i have had some people come out against me you know because of certain things about my life right so being a christian um i did have a um 
anti-gay uh, flag on as my profile pic, okay? So uh, that was in 2015. Now, if people did their research, like we were just talking about, they would know that in 2015, the Supreme Court was deciding the gay marriage issue at that time. Right. And I wrote an explanation as to why I had that posted as my profile pic. So there would be no misunderstanding as a Christian. Right. Uh, I believe in the institution of marriage between man and woman. Right. Uh, because they can pre procreate children and, and have a, a family unit. Now, I wasn't against uh, the LGBTQ community legally because I clearly stated that they still had the same equal rights within our country. I, I felt that the marriage issue was kind of stepping on a Christian issue, right? That's That was from my Christian point of view. But I still believe that they have equality within our country under our legal system. So I don't care if you what you identify as as a person you as a human being and a citizen in this country have the same equal rights that everybody else has As a Christian, I'm going to love somebody no matter who they are, as long as they're not infringing on my life. So, Right. Yeah, and that's kind of the issue is is that, you know, people kind of took off and ran with that and said, oh, well, he's anti-LGBTQ. Well, you know, from a Christian standpoint, I have my own beliefs, right, which I'm entitled to as an individual. Right. But in, in the country, as a human being and a citizen in this country, you have the same equal rights that I do. I don't have the right to go out and oppress you or shame you or, or harass you in any, any way, shape or form about your life. Yeah, I feel that we all have the same rights and, and you know, depending on your cultural background, how you feel about it. But uh, some people may feel restricted more than others uh, as far as the way the world is or their life. But at the end of the day, I feel that this country, you know, we have the freedoms to, to have what we want. And so I feel we are equal, even by law. So some people may disagree with that. Right. And I, you know, quite frankly, to me, uh, I, I don't worry about what somebody else is getting or not getting. It's, yeah, unfortunately, I don't, luckily, I, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but luckily, I just don't have that kind of control and I don't have that visibility. So uh, it, it obviously is an issue. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I'm not in a position other than to say, yeah, I do support the fact that women who do the same job don't get paid the same thing, right? But by the same token, I don't have those conversations, you know, if I'm the person deciding that pay structure, I'm not the person that has a conversation with that other person to determine exactly what issues they may have. Because there was, again, this goes back to, I may not have all the information, right? It's definitely important that we have all the info and be able to put things together with, with the right information and facts. Uh, I guess mainly facts is what we want. So, you know, that's that's key. People people misunderstand things very easily. 
So I, I definitely wanted to bring out that issue uh, because I wanted to clarify because I hate that people would think that I'm a bigoted or racist person because I'm not. Um, Right. And there's a couple more things that I kind of wanted to bring up. So one of the other issues against me is, uh, uh, you know, have you, you've heard of Bob Bates? Okay, so Bob Bates accidentally shot uh, Eric Harris in the process of being arrested, right? Uh, he was uh, evidently selling illegal weapons, right? Uh, during a sting, Bob Bates accidentally uh, shot this guy and killed him, uh, you know, thinking that he had pulled his taser. That's, you know, the story. So uh, what happened was is... Um, there was an investigation done into the reserve program. So what happened is, is that of course, all of the reserves uh, transformed into all of the reserves and in the sheriff's office, office getting scrutinized, right? So I started looking at training records, qualifications and things of that nature. Um, so uh, what happened was, is when they started scrutinizing these records, they determined, you know, that certain records were missing for certain years for certain people, right? So, of course, I had a couple of things that were missing, like mental health training um, and uh, I think something else. I can't remember. It was only a couple of things. So it was very minor. Um, and I, I've never skipped the training. I've always been up to date with the training. However, the records were missing. We've got all the records were straightened out. I was still a reserve. I was fully qualified by Cleet. Um, um, so there was no issue with that. But somebody, I guess, decided they would bring that out as some sort of issue. I've had people say, oh, well, you only served a couple of years. No, I served from July of 1999 all the way till May of 2016 when the county board of commissioners approved my retirement i didn't do it under guise of uh, failure of anything i didn't do it under you know some pretense that you know i was trying to avoid something because again anybody can check with the sheriff's office and find out whether i'm what i say i am and so the thing is is you know uh, again this is where we come back to people who create false narratives with only partial truths right so if i create a partial truth then that must be the truth i create screenshots of well it says you were deficient online yeah i was because they didn't have the records so when you provide those records or those records get updated you're like okay i'm in full compliance because again i'm still certified under cleat right uh, i have a commission card signed by the sheriff right of tulsa county i have a gun and a badge i'm allowed to carry these things so if i wasn't what i said i was you know the sheriff or someone i had to go through the same scrutiny that everybody else did right so i'm not afraid of what somebody's going to find on the internet because again these two things are when you create false narratives against people right uh, it's only because you're being emotional you're not taking all the facts and creating the correct narrative and so uh, you know the thing is is um, you know i've had even people question me about that you know and say well uh 
you know, these people are out here saying that, you know, you only did it a couple years or you got, you resigned or, you know, you got let go or stuff like that. Nope. Uh, I, I, I carry a card. I carry a badge. I carry a gun, you know, and I, I have a sheriff's tag on the back of my car. Well, it's nice to know they got to the bottom of all that and resolved the issues with that. So, you know, that, that whole Bob Bates thing uh, really put all of us in scrutiny. And, and I want people to also understand this. Because of that Bob Bates issue, there were people that served. And this, this is, uh, had I not been in this organization, uh, I would have never believed this. But you had people that had served 40, 50 years as a reserve that were serving their community for that long, Right. Now, because uh, what happened, right, when Sheriff Regalado, and I, and I support Sheriff Regalado, he's a good sheriff. Uh, the issue is, is that when he uh, got elected, uh, he, we all, uh, he had a, a meeting with all of us and said, you know, uh, basically from this point forward, certain things were going to change. Right. And, you know, if you'd been doing in uh, Stanley Glanz's sheriff's office, right, uh, the idea that there was corruption amongst, you know, the the office is, is a ridiculous thought anyway, uh, in and of itself. But because it's now Sheriff Regalado's office, you've been under Sheriff Glanz for so many years. This is the way things were. You were allowed to do certain things. But now this sheriff is now under the pressures of, you know, fixing a problem a perceived problem right a perceived problem so the issue is is that i thought and a lot of us who served under stanley glands for such a long time decided you know what we should probably retire and let new people come in so you do have some guys who even served under stanley glands that are really good uh, reserves and representatives of our community that are still doing it um the thing is is they're just younger guys um who hadn't been doing it as long and so they're still there serving and they're really good uh deputies and I know the Betty Shelby incident as well was a big issue uh, that was going on for there for a while. Right. And, and you know, uh, we had the Betty Shelby incident, which happened here in Tulsa, right? Um, I have my own opinions, but again, they're on my own opinions, right? Uh, now, supposedly, she became a deputy over, I don't know if it was a reserve or a full-time deputy in another county. Supposedly, she's become some sort of uh, trainer. And so, you know, people are upset about that as well. I don't see that as a big issue myself, really. And that's the, here's, here's the, the bad part about, uh, about life itself when it comes to our legal system, right? So, of course, you have civil law and you have criminal law, right? Yeah, so, you know, with the legals or with the criminal system, you have, it, it's, you have to prove, right, evidence, right? Uh, whereas with civil uh, law, you, it's a preponderance of truth, right? So it's whoever has the best story or who's, whoever's the most likely, yeah, whoever's most likely telling the truth, right? Uh, so the issue is, is that even though you can be found not guilty criminally, you can still be held liable legally, uh, in a civil court, right? So that's the problem uh, is it's, you know, kind of in my own mind, sometimes I feel like it's kind of a double jeopardy. Even though I'm not found guilty over here, I could still be found guilty over here. 
Right. So I could still end up being, you know, financially drained for the rest of my life. You know, uh, O.J. Simpson is a perfect example, right? Even though he was acquitted of, of the crimes, uh, we all have our own opinions of that. But he's still in debt to the Goldman family for $33 million, right? And they're getting him. So what was the tally on the votes this past runoff election? Um, how did you do? How did your opponents do? Uh, what was the tallies on all of that? Um, I think I got somewhere around 1,500. Um, uh, Connie got 2,100. And I, like I said before, Cheyenne got 942, I think. Um, so it wasn't as distanced as uh, what what you know some people expected uh, and like i said the thing is is i'm glad you know that you know people did have a choice and that's exactly how it's supposed to work you know um my job is to try and unseat that incumbent just like the other person just like Cheyenne when she ran her campaign we have a person who's entrenched in this for six years and trying to you know go for another term it's our job to show where you know this person is not doing what they're supposed to for us so uh you know i commend her for running a campaign so is it difficult to run a campaign with covid going on right now i would see that as being a real real damper on knocking on doors yeah, the bad part is is because of how large this district is, COVID has really done us in. Uh, let me tell you, some people can become pretty belligerent uh, when you go knock on their door. You know, they come out the door and, you know, like you back off, you know, or telling you to get on the grass and you're like, okay. Uh, I supported Ken Reddick uh, during his campaign for mayor. Um, I supported Casey Robinson, Chad Ferguson, Justin Van Kirk, Kaz Failer, of course. Uh, over in District 5. So, uh, you know, we're I'm supporting all the conservatives who are running. Uh, uh, Ty Walker, uh, you know, we talk about uh, conservative candidates. I, I was so upset because the conservatives didn't turn out. Even Ty Walker, right? Uh, he didn't get the same kind of media attention that Greg Robinson did, right? Uh, so I didn't understand... I didn't understand the disparity there, and it, it had to have been just simply because he was a conservative, right? Uh, but Ty Walker has a business uh, on on uh, Greenwood, right? Uh, Wanda Jay's Next Generation, I think, is is what it's called. So, uh, you know, uh, we as conservatives have a hard battle. We're always behind the eight ball here in, in this society right now. So, uh, my website is www dot bingle for tulsa dot com and four is for so bingle for tulsa dot com uh, i have a facebook page a facebook page christian bingle for tulsa uh, so i have that facebook page and if you have something that you want to ask me specifically i think i've covered all the uh, controversial issues that are out there supposedly about me that which are false um, but um, you can call me directly at 918-638-9855. That is my personal cell phone number. Uh, don't call me at 4.30 in the morning. And let me tell you that I do have people doing it. You know what? It's, it's ridiculous. 
Well, I want to thank you for being on the show and thank you for all your insight on the issues you want to handle. And, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. And I, I really hope that uh, the selection works out for you. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing some changes you can make and uh, some of the changes you can make in the community, win or lose. And uh, I thank you for being here. And uh, we'll have this discussion later, maybe after the election. Thank you, Dean. I really appreciate you inviting me and taking the time with me.